Let's look at the passage um, in Exodus. Um, Moses' life had changed really substantially from Exodus chapter 2, verses 15, up to 3, 5, which is what we read today. So we didn't read all the way back to 15, but we read that last week. Um, but, but the shift that had taken place in his life in just these few verses is incredible. In 2.15, you know, halfway through the second chapter, he's living in Egypt in a palace. He's the adopted son of the princess. From the outside, some might think everything is going great for him. But at the same time, he's watching as he knows he doesn't fit in and he's seeing his people, the Israelites, who are being abused by the Egyptian slaveholders. And he's watching all of this take place. And then we're told that one day in a fit of rage that Moses exploded and he killed one of the Egyptians who was beating an Israelite. And then that soon after, an Israelite was the first one to to basically accuse him of being some kind of overambitious psychopath. How dare he do such a thing? Who did he think he was? How could he behave in this kind of manner? He finds out that people know what's happened. It's not a secret. And then that Pharaoh is after him and is going to kill him. So Moses' response, he ran. He ran from Egypt. He got out. He escaped everything that he could. The story goes on and it tells us that he ended up around a well. And when he was at this well, that someone called the priest of of Midian. And his name changes a few times. I don't exactly know all the reasons for that. But we eventually learn him as Jethro. But he gets named a couple different things throughout the story. Uh, the, the priest of Midian takes him into the family, welcomes him in as he has just protected this uh, Jethro's daughters. So he comes in and, and then we're told that eventually he ends up marrying this shepherd priest's daughter. That a son together. And as we talked about last week, in all of this, it seems that Moses found time to wrestle with his past. To wrestle with who he had been and what he'd walked through and the man that it had made him into. So in in just these short verses, we watch as Moses goes from royalty to criminal to shepherd. And in the process of it, we talked last week about the ways in which this solitude, this time alone, this time away from what he'd known, began to work on Moses' soul. We talked about the great value of solitude and the, the need that there is for us to experience as a part of our life. But that ideally, instead of just running from everything like Moses did, that we actually run towards God. I think I mentioned last week, both will work, but running towards God seems to work quicker than just running away from everything. Um, this idea that it is a valuable piece of us. We watch as Moses' time in the desert seemingly gave him some time, some ability to begin to deal with the pain of his past. And then the strength to name it as we watch as he has the son and he names his son after the suffering that he had experienced. I am a foreigner in a foreign land. Now in the story of Exodus, what we've we've looked at so far, what we've talked about so far, we've not actually seen God interact with Moses. We don't see God appear on the scene in the story of Exodus until the very end of chapter 2, which is what we read today. As it comes to a close, we read it, and it sort of feels like to me, if we just read chapter 2, kind of the way that some of our favorite TV shows end. Our interest in Moses is stirring. 
Our compassion for the slaves is rising. Our anger for Pharaoh is growing. We're getting more and more connected to the story. We watch as God walks onto the scene because it says that God heard the groaning of his people and knew that it was time to act. And then it's the credits roll. And you have to tune in next week in order to find out what's going to happen. Isn't that the way all of our TV shows are created? It gets you right up to that point. And as we watch the chapter change, that's what takes place. The end of two comes in. God walks on the scene. What's God going to do? How's God going to act? What's the response going to be? And either you wait till next week and show up and get it, or we keep reading into chapter three, which is what we did today. It's like binge watching on Netflix instead of waiting for the next week's episode. But as the next episode begins, everything shifts. In a new place, in a new time, everything changes. No longer is the story taking place in Egypt. But now we're told that it's in the wilderness outside Midian. In fact, the passage says far outside Midian. And as we walk into this new episode or this new chapter, we see what appears to be from just these little glimpses that we get a different Moses. He's older. Less hurried, perhaps. Moving through the wilderness with this flock of sheep as he's stepped into this family business, this family that took him in, and now he herds sheep. I imagine him walking along with them, kind of enjoying the scenery, noticing what's there, seeing it, and watching as the sheep nibble and wander, and then they move on and nibble and wander somewhere else, and then they move on and they nibble and wander somewhere else, and he follows This has become what is the new normal for Moses. Life has changed so drastically. This was life outside Egypt. This was the life that he took hold of after he had run away from his past and all that was taking place. This is what ordinary had become. And there's no hint in the story that Moses is bothered by this new form of ordinary, by this new way of life. In fact, I think we see glimpses soon that he actually prefers it. And scared of what else might come because this has become what he knows. And yet we find that in in the midst of Moses doing what is incredibly ordinary for him, something extraordinary takes place. And maybe there's a completely natural explanation for why a bush would be on fire in the middle of the desert. I don't actually know. Maybe there's a completely natural reason for why that bush would continue to burn and never go out. I don't actually know. But that's not really the point. We actually see in the scriptures that sometimes God works through very natural processes. And other times he works through processes that aren't even remotely natural. Both take place. But that's not really what we even want to focus on as we look at this story today. Our focus is not so much on a bush that was burning as it is on the reality that Moses noticed. I believe... That God has a deep longing to be with us, to speak with us. The language that we use and that I see the scriptures use is that God wants a relationship with us. And what we know about relationships is that relationships require some kind of back and forth interaction. For a relationship to be healthy, it expects of us both speaking and listening. 
for it to be growing, there's give and take that's a part of it. There's shared responsibility that becomes a part of it. And there's even some measure of reciprocal connection of the going and the coming of the back and the forth. That's a part of what we know to expect takes place in relationships that are healthy and growing and doing what they're supposed to. And in the scriptures, we find that primarily through stories... We're told about these kinds of relationships, this kind of interplay that takes place between God and God's people, the people that God is walking in relationship with, men and women. We see that this is what God desires from us and what God desires for us. But I think also through the sharing of these stories, we are reminded and we get a chance to see that, that we're not alone, but that, that all of the people that God has created, that all of creation actually longs for this connection with God, that the longing of our own soul is to be with God, that we were created to crave interaction with the Almighty. And in order to exist in completeness in who we were created to be and called to be and the way we were formed to be, we need a growing and deepening relationship with the God who created us, with the God who loves us. And Moses' story is this really great testimony of this opportunity that we have to be in relationship with God, to come and go and to interact and to to come to know who God is and what it is that God wants to do. And we watch as this relationship with God and Moses begins. And it seems that Moses didn't even know that he was looking for God. But God was looking for Moses. We often don't recognize as we read through the stories of Scripture these things that recur or reoccur over and over and over again and carry great value. Things like the mountain that appears in this story. This mountain is a recurring character in the story of the scriptures. Over and over and over again, this mountain appears as we watch as God and God's people interact with one another. And there's a multitude of times that it surfaces. We see it now. We see it with Abraham. We see it with David. Over and over again, we see this mountain appear. And again and again, there are these reasons why it's here. But in this story, in Moses' story, it's almost as if God was waiting for Moses by the mountain. And it's mentioned to us that on this day, he was far outside Midian. And I think as readers, we're supposed to ask the question, was he in somewhere he'd never been before? Was he in a new place? Why did he go there? What's he doing? We don't really know. But we know that when he got there, that God was waiting for him. And that when Moses showed up at the mountain, that Moses was ready for God. So God met Moses on the mountain. God met Moses in this bush that was on fire. The extraordinary and the ordinary all weaved together at the same time. And I think we find and we understand that the truth is this is how God wants to meet with us. In the ordinary and the extraordinary mingled together. And finding God in those moments requires that you and I be ready to notice that God is there. Now, solitude, which we talked about last week and we've talked about lots of times, is kind of an initial act that we participate in um, towards coming to a place of learning how to notice God. Solitude, silence. We make space, as we talked about last week, we make space for God through these spiritual practices. Practices like Sabbath or scripture reading or prayer or silence and solitude. There's a whole list of them that we could go through. 
But in these, in these practices, in these rhythms, in these routines, in these habits, they have a multitude of names, spiritual disciplines, a multitude of names by which they get called. But what we're doing in all of them is that we are practicing. We are practicing what it looks like for us to hear the voice of God, to listen to God. We create this space each day, maybe in the same place. At the same time, doing the same things. That doesn't have to be legalistic, but there's something about the repeated practice that helps us get there. That gives us the ability to learn to know what it looks like to hear God's voice. To recognize what God's voice sounds like and to find it in the scriptures and to find it in prayer and to find it in silence. It allows us this opportunity to tune our soul towards noticing and hearing God. In Ruth Haley Barton's uh, book that we've talked about, that we're, we're looking at with a lot of this and kind of partnering alongside it, it says, uh, an essential discipline is to craft times of quiet in which we allow God to show us those things that we might otherwise miss. We practice this time. We create this time. We craft this time because it teaches us to differentiate between God's voice and all of the other voices that are constantly constantly yelling at us. All of the other things that are crying out. It gives us the ability to know God's voice, to listen for God's voice, to recognize God's voice in the midst of all the other voices. But at the same time as we think about set, set apart times of, of solitude, of silence, whether we call them quiet times or daily offices or whatever it might be that we've adopted into our practice of practicing these things. What we also see is true of God is that God desires from us more than an appointments only relationship. At one point, and I have permission, I've asked Callie about telling this story already. At one point in time, Callie was meeting with a, with a particular counselor. And every other week or so, she would go and she would see this counselor and they would spend time together. And uh, the counseling situation was going well and they were having good conversations. And, and there, were, there were good things that were happening. And for some reason, I don't even remember the details, they ended up having a conversation about being in the same place for something. There was an overlap in their life or what was going on. Again, I don't remember all the details, but the counselor found it necessary to explain she and Callie could not be friends. And when you hear that, in some ways, there's kind of this piece of going, oh, that sounds a little tough. But there's a reason why counselors can't be our counselors and our friends. It's actually good. It's actually healthy. There's actually an ethical expectation that a counselor know how to differentiate between the two. Know how to differentiate between being a counselor, being a therapist, and being your friend. Those two things aren't supposed to overlap for really important reasons. But God's desire is not to be our therapist. God is not looking to be the therapist that is only available to us when we have scheduled appointments together. So church, weekly worship is not sufficient. Even daily quiet times, whether they're five minutes or 20 minutes or three hours, is not enough. God desires to be with us every moment we will have him. So we see Jesus in the Gospels. Invite people to come follow me. 
With the understanding that they're going on a journey with Jesus. They're following after Jesus. They're, they're with Jesus all of the time. Because what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to come and be with Jesus all the time. We see in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is sent for us to dwell with us and in us at all moments. And that an active and intimate and consistent relationship with our Lord and our Savior and our friend is God's hope for us. And our longing Again, not just by appointment, but all the time. In a different book uh, by Barton, uh, it's called Pursuing God's Will Together. She says, the spiritual journey can be understood as the movement from seeing God nowhere or seeing God only where we expect to see him to seeing God everywhere, especially where we least expect him. God called out to, the, to Moses in this extraordinary way in the midst of his ordinary life. And I believe that God longs to do the same for us. That there are burning bushes everywhere we turn. Everywhere we go, all of the time that there are these burning bushes that are, are in our life. These opportunities for us to recognize that God is working around us, calling out to us, speaking all around us. And noticing means that we must be a people who pay attention. That we've attuned ourselves to what it means to hear the voice of God, to recognize the work of God. That we look for God outside of our regularly scheduled time together. Because God desires to be present much more than that. Now Moses, in his ordinary, ordinary, ordinariness of life, as a shepherd in the wilderness, experienced God in a burning bush. I don't know about you. But I don't spend a whole lot of time in the desert with sheep. None of you responded to that, so maybe you do. But my guess is if we don't, perhaps we're unlikely to actually find God in a literal burning bush. Because we don't see them very often in the desert that we're not in with sheep that we don't have. Right? Are you sort of with me? Maybe. Not sure. Something? You need to stand up and stretch a bit? Laura told me she needed some more sleep, and I told her I would start in just a few minutes. She could take a nap while we were up here. The rest of you joined her, huh? So if we're not in the desert, if we're not in the wilderness, if it's not going to be literal burning bushes, where is it that we are supposed to notice God? What are the burning bushes that exist in our life? What are the, the opportunities? And I can't go through a list of what they all might be. But imagine, what if the burning bush is the man pushing a grocery cart next to you in the grocery store? Or the child who is obviously desperate for being loved? What if it's in the opening of a, of a, of a fresh blossom on a flower? And that in that God is longing to speak and to move. If Barton is right in her writing. And that we're supposed to grow in our ability to recognize, to notice God everywhere. Especially where we least expect God. How many multitude of places might exist in our life where God is crying out and we simply keep missing it. How many burning bushes do we pass day in and day out and we never even notice? We never even pay attention. We don't pay attention. We don't stop and take off our shoes and sit with God. This story reminds us that we have to look to find God at work around us. 
Not because God is hiding. God is not trying to play some game where we don't know that he's there, where we don't see him moving. In fact, I think God wants to be noticed. God wants us to recognize him just like Moses did with the burning bush. But we have to be looking because he's going to appear in these extraordinary ways in the ordinariness of our life. In just the day-to-day, in just the mundane. And we have to pay attention to recognize that God is there and that God is moving and that God is speaking. And as we do so, noticing is important. But I think there's even something more significant that the story is trying to push us towards and help us grasp and understand. Is that in burning bushes, whatever they might be in our life, God is inviting us to stop and join him. Noticing wasn't enough for Moses. It could have been. He could have noticed this bush burning off in the distance and just decided to keep on moving. To go on to what was next or move it. Wow, that's interesting. And then just keep going. He could have run the other way. Whether it was out of fear or out of chasing after some rambunctious sheep that had run the wrong way. He could have stopped and taken a selfie and decided to move on to whatever the next photo op was on the journey that he was on. Because it didn't really matter that much. He'd get a picture on the next stop. The multitude of ways in which he could have responded and we could have responded to what God was doing. But noticing a burning bush in the distance was not what God hoped for Moses. The bush was an invitation. God wanted to speak with Moses. God wanted to spend time with Moses. God wanted to make something new of Moses. And that meant that Moses had to be willing to stop and to take off his shoes and to be with God. In verse 3 of chapter 3, which we read earlier, it says, This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Moses noticed. And because he did, God spoke. Another quote from Barton's book says this. It says, God spoke because Moses stopped, paused, noticed, Turned aside. I think that there is actually a deep longing in many of us to hear from God. Maybe. Sort of. At least for me. This, this hope, this wanting to see burning bushes. I think that there are many of us that crave what it would be like to see the miraculous in our ordinary life. Some kind of evidence that God is here, that God is working among us. And yet, here's the problem. So many of us don't have time for God. We're too consumed by our own schedules and our own to-do lists, by our own personal ambitions. We want to hear from God, but only if God can find a way to work in the confines of our own agendas. We're really, really fascinated by what it might look like to experience the miraculous. But we're unwilling to take time to stop and worship the way that Moses did. Whether you like Starbucks or hate Starbucks, we have a whole lot of them around here. And have you begun to notice that there is always something that's true when a new store opens? drive throughs They have moved their focus towards drive-thrus because it's so very fitting to our culture. 
And I actually think that the same is true for many of us in our faith. We're really excited about the idea of drive through Jesus. But sit and rest Jesus requires way too much commitment from us. Way too much time to stop. Way too much time to slow down. Way too much time to push away all of the other things that are calling for us. And yet I have come to believe more and more over time that this is absolutely true. That the only way that God can make of us all that God desires to make of us. The only way that God can use us as God desires and dreams to use us. Is if we are willing to create enough margin in our life to notice the burning bushes in our ordinary day-to-day living. If we're willing to stop. Willing to worship the one who is doing the miracle. Willing to respond to the call that comes out of it. Relationships take time. Following Jesus requires slowing down. Surrendering to the kingdom of God means rejecting everything else that demands we run faster. I was amazed this week as I was reading through this story. And I noticed something. It never actually stuck out to me before because I was kind of reading this quickly and moving on to what came next. And intentionally we stopped here because it's amazing to me that the bush was not yelling at Moses from the very beginning. Moses! Hey, Moses, look at me. Come here. Come here. Hurry up. We have something to do. You have to hurry. My people are suffering. I've heard them cry. We've got to go. You've got to get ready. No, put your shoes back on. There's no time to take your shoes off. We have to run. We've got work to do. Get busy. Go, go, go. But instead, as we read the story, we see that the bush just burned. Just waiting for Moses to notice. Moses had to notice and then he had to choose to go and investigate. And then once he got there, once he was standing there in front of the bush, what does God say? There's no yelling. There's no crying out. There's no push to go. There's no hurry up. God says to Moses, now stop. Take off your shoes and sit with me for a while. Just six verses before that, it says, God heard the groaning of his people and knew something had to be done. And when he calls the man who will be the eventual hero, there are no orders to run fast and get busy and move now. Instead, God says, come, take off your shoes. Sit here for a while. And Moses did. He could have bailed at any point. He could have freaked out at all that was going on. Now Moses isn't perfect. He's going to freak out in just a minute. We've got to get a few more verses into it before we see his freak out moment. But at this point, he receives what God is doing. He allowed the miraculous to draw him in. He surrendered and he stopped and he came closer and he took off his shoes and he met with God. Valley. God wants to meet with us. 
God wants to do this work of strengthening our soul in our own lives and in the life of our church, of, of making of us all that he desired, all that he dreamed from the very beginning, all that he created us to be, all that he imagined possible for us. But it will require of us practice, practice in learning what it means to hear God's voice. It will require for us that we pay attention, that we notice And then that we're willing to join God in God's work. We're going to talk more about that next week. But to finish today, let me read to you another quote from Barton's book. It's actually the way she ends uh, one of her chapters. It says this. It says, the practice of paying attention awakens us to what is extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. As we live our lives in humble response to the one who is calling to us out of the burning bush in our own lives, we discover that we are standing on holy ground more often than we think. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, our Savior, would you give us eyes to notice you? Would you attune our souls to the sound of your voice, to the spirit of your calling? Would you give us faithfulness to investigate when we see the burning bushes, to come and to sit with you, to wait, to rest, to trust you. Amen.